Would you stand for the reading of God's word? As Jesus left the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what awesome stones and buildings. Jesus responded, Do you see the enormous buildings? Not even one stone will be left upon another. All will be demolished. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will happen. What sign will show that all things things are about to come to an end? Jesus said, watch out. No one deceives you. Or watch out that no one deceives you. Many people will come in my name saying, I'm the one. They will deceive many people. When you hear of wars and reports of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must happen, but this isn't the end yet. Nations and kingdoms will fight against each other, and there will be earthquakes and famines in all sorts of places. These things are just the beginnings of sufferings associated with the end. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. So glad to be with, uh, with each of you. And uh, this morning, I'm just uh, praying that the Lord will continue to, to meet us like he has um, this past evening with 520, and then also with the, uh, the 830 service. You've heard me say this on a number of occasions, but uh, as we study, continue to study through the book of Mark, but uh, there, there's, there's a lot of different stories, but, but there's only one message, and that is that the, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if you're with us today, and uh, you'd like to, to have... Um, a, a Bible in which to have open so that you could read that as we go and as we unpack. All you simply have to do, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and, and somebody will come to you and they will bring you a Bible. And we just want you to know that that is our gift from Gateway to you. Uh, but we just ask one thing, and that is that, uh, that, that you would use it, okay? Um, if you have your iPads, uh, your, your cell phones and so such, um, we also have um, the, the abridged version of the outline uh, um, up, and so you could pull that up on your, on your phones through version. Um, however, we can help you to, to connect here this morning. You also have in your worship folder, there is a, uh, there's an insert there, and on the, on the opposite side of the outline, you can see that, uh, that there is the text that was just read for us. I would encourage you to, to read through it on a number of occasions and refer back to it, highlight it, circle words, things that stand out to you, and then I would ask that, uh, that you would take it on into the week and continue um, in your time of, of service and time of uh, devotion. This morning I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And in the unabridged uh, 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 outline there, I'm going I'm to help you to fill those in. And then I'm going to come back to it to address those. But our title this morning is called Forged Identities. And the theme of our discussion here today is that, that we're all called to be sentinels of the faith. Jesus, like the disciples, is, is asking us to, to be ones that would continue the kingdom effort, that we must continue to trust in his provision even amid great difficulty. And then the outline there, the, the, the three pieces that are there, the first one is this, don't be impressed by the grandiose. Don't be impressed by the grandiose. Secondly, watch out for doomsday deceivers. And then lastly, we're here to, to be sentinels of the truth. So the first one there, don't be impressed by, by the grandiose. 
I want to share with you a little bit because this text, uh, it, it addresses it. Jesus brings up in this discussion with, with the disciples, um, this discussion about the temple. And, and I think that I would like to, as, as we go into this here together this morning, that I'd like to impact, just to uh, give you a little bit of some historical background as we discuss the temple. The temple has always been represented through, throughout Scripture by a number of things. But for our time here today, I would like to just share just a couple of things with you. In Scripture, the, the temple was a place of, of holiness. It was, it was a sacred place. It was a place where people held it in, in utmost regard. It was, it was God's house. It was, it was God's dwelling. And so we see that um, referred to time and time again as, as, as a holy place, a very sacred place. It was also known as a, as a sanctuary where, where people could come and, and they could come to the temple courts and they could even be outside of the, the temple there. But it was a place where, where people could just come and, and, and find sanctuary. There would be those times where, where even if there was long days travel or even a, an extended travel where people could come to the temple and there was just kind of this safe environment, if you will. It was a place where people could seek solace, where, where they could come and, and, and they could gather together and, and they could appreciate the, the goodness of God, where they could come and, and, and pray and, and just say, God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for safe travel. Back in the day, oftentimes um, on those long, dusty, dirty roads as they were traveling to and fro, there would often be times where there would be attack and people would be robbed and so such. And so people would come to this place as they were entering the city and they could give a means of thanks and appreciation. I had someone tell me um, the other day that uh, they're part of, uh, of Gateway here. They, they shared with me that, uh, that there's times where they just like to, to get in the car. They feel compelled to, to get in the car and, and just drive to, to this very place, to, to this campus, and, and, and just be here at the church and they express that there's just something about being at God's house. And then they continued in that conversation and said, if it wasn't for the church, they, they wouldn't know where they would be today. And so they come just to express, there's this expression of just being here and saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for, for what you've done for me. Thank you, God, for what you continue to, to do for me. It was a sacred place. It was a sanctuary. It was, it was a holy place. The temple is always addressed as a place of holiness because God is, is honored there. That's how it was meant to be from, from the very beginning. Even when the people were, were in exile and, and, and they were traveling out into the wilderness, they, they, they had the tabernacle, also referred to as the, the tent of, the, of, of congregation. It was, it was a portable sacred place. It was a, a dwelling place, a place of Yahweh that was used by the nation of Israel as, as they traveled to and fro in the wilderness. The temple was also a place of communication with and, and, and about God. Just like in this worship center where we have gathered here for a number of occasions this, this weekend, it was a, it was a place of, of communication where, where we come on bended knee and, and, and we give our praises and we give our requisitions, our, our petitions before God, but we also gather together. It's a place of communication where we can come and we can express what God is doing. We can come and express where, where we're having hurts and where we're having struggles and, and seek from our fellow brothers and sisters prayer, and we can seek uh, uh, an encouraging word. It's a, it's a place of communication. 
It's a place where we can come and, and we can gather together. It's a place where we can congregate together. The temple was a place where we could find favor with one another, where we could do hashtag life together. The temple was also a place where it was a place of justice. It was a place of, of God's judgment to, to, to acknowledge and, and to press into to the instructions, the, the very commandments of God. When God gives instruction, he, he means it. He doesn't mean that we, we just take something uh, that, that maybe abides with us or something that fits with us or something that makes us feel comfortable, but, but it's a place that reminds us that God is in all control, that God is of all authority. It's a place where people were reminded that, that they needed to make things right with Yahweh and, and with one another. We can see in many texts as we, as we go through Scripture where, where people were, were in debt to one another and, and where they are encouraged. They're encouraged by, by the message of the, of the temple, by, the, by the, the theme, the very themes of God to, to go and to make it right and to go and to resolve it. We see that part of the, the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew 6, 12, where, where it says that, that, we are to, that we are to forgive, and we seek God to forgive our debts, and then we are also to go and forgive our debtors. Part of the Lord's Prayer, part of what, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The temple was a place where God was in, in, in His fullness, where, where God was present. The temple was also a reminder. It was a, it was a symbol of, of God's divine victory over, over the enemy, over the enemies of the nation of Israel. The Old Testament scriptures tell us that, that the temple also represents all creation. Given such the, the richness of, of, of imagery surrounding God's house, its, its totality, understandable that, that, that people would long to live that people would long to, to come and, and just be in its courts because they're drawn to it. They're, they're drawn to the presence of God. And we even see where the psalmist in, in Psalm 23, verse 6, where he says, Surely goodness and, and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell, I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is why, if you recall just a few chapters back in, in chapter 11 specific, that, that Jesus, he comes and he addresses the money changers because he knows what the temple is supposed to be. He knows what, what it represents. And, and he comes in, in Mark 11, verse 17, and, and, and he's quoting uh, the, Old text, the Old Testament text, Isaiah 56, 7, when he says, hasn't it been written that my house shall be a, called a house of, of prayer amongst all of the nations? And then we see a reference in the Old Testament book of, of Jeremiah 7, verse 11, where, where we see that, that there's this question that's being posed, where, where God is posing this question to the people, but has this house, which is called by my name, has it become a, a, a den of robbers, of robbers in your sight? Behold, even I, I have seen this, declares the Lord. See, Jesus in, in chapter 11, we see where, where he goes and he, he throws out the thieves. He, he throws out the robbers and he displaces them from their staging areas. And, and why? Why did he do this? Because church, the temple is a sacred place. It, it is the place that represents the holy Abba Father God. 
It is a dwelling place of God, and it, it was being fleeced or, or taken advantage of by, by the money exchangers. And so we come to this text this morning in, in uh, chapter 13, Mark chapter 13, and, and look at verse 1 there with me, but it, but it says, As Jesus left the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what awesome stones and buildings. So we know that one of the disciples, we, we don't know who because they're not named here, but, but maybe, just maybe, because we've been going through the study together, we, we see where Peter is, is asking a lot of questions. He's very inquisitive. He's kind of on the spur of the moment, kind of in prop. But maybe, maybe it was Peter, but, but that doesn't matter. But it, but it says that a disciple comes to Jesus... And they're pretty excited, they're, they're pretty amped up, if you will, and, and they mention how awesome the buildings are, how awesome the, the, the various courtyards, how awesome the balconies and, and the porches and, and the colonnades are of the temple. They're, they're pretty excited about this. The temple, it was considered to be, in, in, in that time, current, it, it was considered to be an architectural wonder of the ancient world. The structure itself was known to have taken up a considerable amount of land, a considerable amount of space. In other words, it would, it would draw your attention. It would, it, would, it would grab your attention as you were making your way into the city from, from miles away. And then just imagine being there at the temple itself and just looking at, at, the, at the massive, uh, this, this, this construction of this building. It, it, you had to have been awestruck. But here's something noteworthy, something that we need to, to bring into the, to the text here. But the Herodian dynasty, in other words, the, the, the kingdoms that were not of God, but, but during this time, the Herodian dynasty, in order to win Jewish favor, worked really hard to, to help the Jewish people to complete the temple. The, 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 the temple had been destroyed you know, many, many years ago, and it's taken them a while, and now you have the Herodian dynasty, and, and they're like, you know what, I could, I could really gain favor of the Jewish people if I can kind of help the process along. I, I kind of have the, the, the bank account, if you will, to, to kind of help them in the process, and, and then maybe I can, I can gain some favor with the people. But I want you to, to note this if you're, if you're taking notes, but it was all an ulterior motive. When we think about that, that whole dynasty and wanting to help the people and, and gain the praise of people, but there was this ulterior motive. See, the thinking was that, that if he could just come in and, and help to, to, to help with a couple of things that, that it, it would, it, and make some things happen, kind of make things really look good, he, he was doing it not because it was something that represented holiness, he, not because it, it represented or reflected community in, in, in God. It wasn't because it was something that reflected peace, something that reflected a sense of solace, something that reflected God in his provision, something that reflected that, that God was the creator of all and the victor of all kingdoms. It, it wasn't about that. It was about a dynasty. In other words, Herod was solely seeking favor of the people to kind of get what we talked about last week when we talked about the temple treasury where, where the religious leaders and others, they come and, and remember the whole thing about putting, putting the offering into, into the treasury, the temple treasury. And remember the, the ching, 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 ching and all of the change that was clanking and, and people were probably standing there just thinking, wow, I wonder what all these people, they must be thinking that, that I am just all of that. 
But then Jesus talks about how the widow takes two mites or, or two bits, uh, two coins, and, and puts it in the treasury. She took everything that she had to survive, and he says she's put more in to the temple treasury today than anybody else here. And he gathered the disciples and, and didn't want them to, to miss that moment. And so here this dynasty is wanting to receive those attaboys, if you will. And so we, we, we look at this and, and, and we have to really put it in context. But in the midst of the temple, in the midst of Jesus and his ministry, there, there are people that are, that are seeking self pride. They're, they're centered. They want people to go, wow, look at them. Wow, look at this kingdom. Wow, look at this dynasty. But, but Jesus reflected on all of that. He reflected on this whole thing of gaining favor with men and the fact that, that, that now he is addressing and he's telling his, his disciple, the one that, that asked him, look at all of this. Isn't this, a, this wonderful and isn't this, this splendid? And then Jesus responds back, and, and we can see in the following verse where he said there will come a time where, where this, this, this will be leveled. There will come a time where there won't be a stone that will stand upon another stone. That Herodian dynasty, would, it, 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 it was one that he, that, that dynasty was looking that this will be a lasting moment. How sad the, the audacity as I'm studying this text, but the audacity that somebody would try to take and attach their name on the side of the building, if you will. That they would try to take and proclaim something that was sacred, something that was holy. The, the, the audacity of that. He wanted to take that which was God's and, and put his own name on it. He, he wanted to forge the identity of the temple he was, as Jesus described in chapter 11, the money changers, that he's a thief, that he's a robber. And look at verse 2 again, but Jesus responded, do you see these enormous buildings? There will come a time, my friends, there will come a time where it will all be demolished. And Jesus was basically saying that, that the entire complex would, would someday be leveled and, and there wouldn't be a stone left upon a stone. And, and, and this prediction is, is Jesus' judgment of the misuse of the temple. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning with verse 11 through 14, we see that, that there's, there's this, this warning from the, from the Old Testament. We, we see where, where God is addressing, Do you regard this temple which bears my name as a hiding place for criminals? I can see what's going on here, declares the Lord. Just to go into my sanctuary in Shiloh where I let my name dwell at first and I see what you did to it because of the evil of my, of my people, the, the nation of Israel. Have you, have you ever heard the expression that history repeats itself? Why can't people just learn? And he goes on and he says in verse 13, And now because you have done all of these things, declares the Lord, because you haven't listened when I spoke to you again and again and again, or responded when I called to you, I will do to this temple that bears my name on which you rely, the, the place that I gave to you and your ancestors, just as I did to Shiloh. And he goes on and he talks about the, the things that will happen to the temple. So just like in the days of Jeremiah, again, there, there will come the, the destruction of the temple by an outside source. 
We will see Jesus is predicting, he's, he's telling the disciples that, that a foreign kingdom will, will, will be God's judge or God's judgment on the, on the rebellious nation. And we will see as Jesus speaks these words, but this prediction was realized within one generation of Jesus speaking these words. Because in A.D. 70, the Roman soldiers were, were directed to go and to demolish the city and level all of its buildings. Don't be impressed by the grandiose church. The, the, the temple was, was amazing, no doubt. But the temple that we read of here, a, a temple of stone and marble and a, a wall that is very sacred to the Jewish people. Now, church, I just want you to, to kind of just hang in there with me for a little bit. But, but church, we may worship in incredible buildings because we've been very gifted and very blessed here at Gateway. Being up on this hillside and, and, and God has done some amazing things for us. We, we have incredible history. But I want to help you to put some things into perspective. We have an incredible means, an incredible place to worship, an incredible building. We, we, we may even have the, the, the best of the best friends and, and, and all of the other things in reference to, to ministry. But friends, please hear me when I say this. That God is not bound, nor is God obligated to live in structures designed and built by human hands. And if we're not careful, we'll become more aware and have more of a desire and I know that this is probably a bold statement, but if we are more concerned about prestige regarding platform and presentation than we are about the gospel and sharing the gospel in the world around us, then we're missing something big time. We don't come to serve self. We come to serve the Lord and to serve others. We need to set self aside and ask, Lord, what is it that you would want us to do? He's afforded us great things, and we're grateful for that. And I say, praise the Lord for that. But it's not about us. We have to be careful with that. And, and God is, is, is a God that he's a jealous God. And when we decide that, that we're going to worship self, you know what? He wants us to worship him. He wants to have us be in partnership in ministry with him. Because God is telling us that, that there will be a time. He's telling us right here in this text, look at it there. He's telling us in this text that, that there will be a time where no stone will be left upon another stone. In other words, that, that we will experience material, materially, someday, the things that we experience materially will be non-existent. But what is important is that we recognize who He is and what He desires to be in each of our lives. Gateway, I just want to share this with you, but, but God desires to, to have residence in our hearts and, and in our lives. But sadly, though, unless there's accountability, unless there's accountability even in churches, even churches can, can fall into the trap where we become more concerned about presentation than, than and, and what people think. We can become more concerned that, that, that uh, if, if we share the gospel or if we're concerned about the things that, that concern God, then what are people going to think about us? We need to understand that God desires for us in our own lives that, that he has commissioned for us to, to be the light to others. But here's the, here's the checkpoint. Are we allowing ourselves to get more caught up in what we can acquire 
Are we getting more caught up in, in what will solely benefit us? Because the Lord is telling us that, that someday all of this will be for naught. And look again at verse 1. Teacher, look, what awesome stones and buildings. And I look around and I'm thankful for what God has afforded us. But, but if none of this, if what God has afforded us here, if none of this reflects the Father, if none of this reflects the, the creator of all things, and if it's not of kingdom purpose, then we've missed it. Is that okay to say that here this morning? And if you didn't approve, I'd say it anyway. Secondly, in, in the outline, watch out for doomsday deceivers. Jesus' words, two words, watch out. Look at verses 5 through 6. Keep watch, watch out. Many will come forging my identity. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many people will come in my name saying that I am the one. That They will deceive many people. Take heed, be on guard. Because church, Jesus is warning the disciples. He's, he's warning us to, to watch out for messianic imposters. Many people will come. Many people will come claiming to the, the use of God's name. Claiming that, that they have authority. Laying claim on his deity. This is where it's important for us to understand. That, that we are to be a people in the word. That we need to, to heed the warnings. That we need to learn from, from past mistakes. And, and, and as I, I was sharing this last week and even the, the week before. But, but how is this word going to get out into the world unless we are the ones that pick it up. And we are the ones that take it there. How are we going to be the people that can take the word of God unless we know what, what is in this book. What, what God shares for us. The, the living word. The, the gospel. The, the, the good news. We could trace back where God's authority, we could see where, where even from the beginning of time, where somebody was trying to steal, somebody was trying to take away, fragment the, the very kingdom of God, we, we can see this in the garden. And, and, and I shared this a number of weeks ago when, when I went back to the book of Genesis, but, but God created man. God created man to walk the garden where everything has been set in motion and everything is perfect and, and God wants to fellowship with his creation. But, but the deceiver comes to, to change all of that, to try to mix it all up. We see God's own, uh, his own authority is being questioned. The serpent comes and, and he puts hesitation in, in the hearts of men. Do, do you understand when we look at our text, when it says there will be those that will come and that they will try to deceive. If we do not know this, the scripture tells us, Jesus himself says that many will be led astray. And the enemy is powerful, church. He is powerful. He was in the garden. He, he was in the most beautiful place, the, the, the perfect place. And he puts hesitation in the hearts of man. The serpent asks maybe a question like, like, who is God to you? Maybe there's this discussion like, don't eat of the tree. Seriously? Well, well why not? Look around. Look at all of the, the, the splendor that is about you. Look at this garden. Look at the platform that you have that you've already been given. Don't you want more? Well, surely you do, the serpent says. If you eat, there, there, will, there will probably be this, this huge revelation. Maybe you'll become like God. Better yet, maybe you'll be smarter than God. You'll, you'll be better than God. Maybe you'll be more knowledgeable. You could possibly even rule his kingdom. So we see this questioning of, of authority and, the, and the, the placing of this hesitation 
in the hearts and the minds of man. Direct instruction by God to, to don't eat of the tree. Go eat of the tree. And I've shared this before, but we, we probably won't even know and, until we get to heaven what God's intent was for that tree. Why? Because we stole that opportunity from ourselves. Because we were seeking to be better, better than, than God. So you need to understand that when Jesus says, watch out and be careful, there's a lot of power uh, from the evil one in the world in which we live. But we don't have to fear that. We fear God, but we understand that God is with us wherever we go, right? Step by step, stride for stride, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we can't be pulled in to, to what the, the culture wants to shape us to be. Somebody should say amen to that. But Jesus is saying that many will come claiming kingdom purpose. That, that many will come that, that might even quote scripture, but, but they have a deviant motive. You need to understand that when, when Jesus was baptized and, and God himself looked down upon and he said, this is my son to, to whom I am well pleased. And, and then the, 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 the evil one led him out into the desert for 40 days. Just look it up in scripture. But the enemy himself, Satan himself, the deceiver, knows scripture. Him and Jesus were quoting scripture back and forth to one another. So when people come and say that, that hey, I know scripture, they quote it to you, that this, the text, the scripture tells us that we are to test all of the spirits because some will come claiming to be the great I am and they are not. They are the evil one trying to distract, destroy, take away, lead away, lead astray. You need to understand that the evil one knows where he's going. He will be bound someday in eternal damnation, and he would love to have as many as he can to go with him. We need to understand when we're looking at this text. Jesus is saying that we need to embrace the word because there will be those that will come, and, and, and the text tells us, look at verse 6, they will deceive many. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't want that to happen. I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to have people led astray. Do you? I look at this text and I see where we can get caught up in the, in the grandiose of things and the presentation of things. And I look at this text and it says that unless people are fortified to, to weather the storms and unless people have the word as the bedrock in which to live, they will be led astray. Church, we gather together, we congregate together to learn about God's word and to lift one another up and to bear one another's burdens. It's not where who gets to sit on the front seat and who gets the first parking space or whatever, but, but we can get so caught up in things like that and it's so sad. We need to understand that just because someone mentions the name of God that they believe in God. The enemy's trying to muddy the waters there are other religions that, 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 that mention a name of God, little g, but, but it's confusing to people. And why is it confusing? Because they don't know. But we need to be a people that is engaged and we share and we let them know that there is only one God. There is no equal. There is no rival to God, our creator. We need to be prepared in season and out of season. We need to know what, what is in God's book. It is my responsibility to, to teach you what is in it. It is my responsibility to, to, to be a shepherd and, and, and together we, we do life together. It is my responsibility to, to help you in spiritual formation. It is my responsibility to help you in discipleship. But I'm going to be bold again when I say that it's also your responsibility to open it. 
It's your responsibility to open it. It is your responsibility to read it. It is your responsibility to accept it. And there we can learn together. There we can forge together. There we do life together. And so Jesus was saying to his disciples, Beware. Watch out because many will come forging my identity. And I love in Exodus 3, verse 14, where Jesus, excuse me, where, where the Lord comes and Moses and the, and the Lord are having this conversation. And, and, and Moses is, is saying, Lord, you're asking me to, to go to Pharaoh and to, to ask him to, 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 to let our people go, two million people. Who do I tell him is the one that sent me? And I love this, but I love that text where, where God says to Moses, I am who I am. Tell Pharaoh that I am who I am. Nobody else can claim that, church. Nobody else can say, I am who I am. God makes a claim that no one else can ever claim. There is only one God. There is only one creator. In John chapter 8, verse 58, he says this, I assure you, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. Then the third thing there is that, that we see in our, in our text here this morning in, in our abridged outline, but, but we're here to be sentinels of the truth. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, the Apostle Paul is, is, is sharing with, with Timothy, preach the word, be ready to do it, whether it is convenient or whether it's inconvenient. Correct, confront, and encourage with patience and instruction. That's a, that's a huge text. It's a, it's a huge study text in correlation to our main text. Do you know why? Because we live in a day and an age where we can become more concerned about what people think about us, whether or not they will invite us out to coffee, whether or not they, they, they will um, friend us or unfriend us with, with Facebook, whether or not they will choose to do life with us. We, we, we live in this tension that, that, that if I say something about God, I, I may lose a friend. Or if I say something to a spouse, then, then, then the house is going to be chaotic. If, if I say something to somebody that's on the ball team, then, then, then will the rest of the team like me or not? Will I be asked to come back next season? We, we get caught up in all of this tension. But I have to say that, that we are called to, to take the, the, the sword and, and we're supposed to put on the shield. We're, we're supposed to go out into battle. We've been called by God to be the soldiers of the faith. And in that fear, we need to understand that, that God is, is with us. He's not going to leave us out on the battlefield, if you will, by ourselves. But see, we, we get into this thinking that we want more approval of man than we want man to actually acknowledge his creator and be in relationship with him. I have to tell you that as a pastor, there have been those times where I've had, I've had the door closed on me. And we have a number of pastors here today that they could probably say the same thing. I've had those times where, where people just don't like me because of, of the position that I hold, the, the vocation of, of pastor. And I pray that you will hear me correctly this morning when I say this with great humility. It is not prideful at all. But I feel that God has called me into a place where sometimes you just have to come to people and you just have to say, you know, I think it's time for you to grow up and I think it's time for you to look up. 
but I want you to know, brother, I want you to know, sister, I am willing to walk with you all along the way because I believe that it's a journey together. Church, God has called us to be the sentinels of the truth. And as I'm reminded of that text of 2 Timothy, I read just a moment ago, I'm reminded that the Apostle Paul, that he was sitting in a Roman dungeon. He was about ready to, to lose his life. He was about ready to be martyred for his faith. And now he's extending. He's extending, and now he's, he's charging a young pastor by the name of Timothy of what is of the greatest importance. And he's telling Timothy, Go and proclaim the gospel. Make the sinner aware of their plight. Go and encourage those who are doing well. All of which must be done in love and patience and careful instruction. But go back to, to where we were just a couple of, of moments ago. There will be some that will come and they will proclaim that they know the gospel, that, that they are teaching the gospel. Or there will be others that will come and say that they're all about kingdom principles. Or they'll throw things out like, like you know what, if, 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 we're, if, if, if you, do you really believe what's in, in the Bible? Do you really believe that, that, it's, that it's all truth? Do you really believe from the beginning to end, from Genesis to, to Revelation, that, that it's all truth? And, and try to put the hesitation back into the hearts and lives of man. And then they tried to take and maybe throw out some of these expressions. Why can't we be a people where we just all get along? Why can't we be a people that, that maybe your truth is not my truth? And, and maybe we don't understand what absolute truth is anymore. But, but why don't we just do this? Why don't you just accept what your truth is and you accept what your truth is and, and then we'll, we'll just try to, to, to get along. Church, that is not of kingdom purpose. That's exactly what is leading people in another direction. The gospel is not a smorgasbord. We don't take and, and, and choose from, from this religion or from this theology or some of these life principles or whatever else and then just mix it all up and just say that it's all good. No, there is, there is only one God, period. There is only one God, church, period. And, and, and we need to understand that, that we are to use the word to confront we are to use the word to counsel. We are to use the word to love, but also to make people aware that someday there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is the charge to Timothy. This was what the Apostle Paul was, was reminding of him or reminding him to do and the importance of that. that, that and, and we look at this text and we also see that, that it says that, that there will be people that, that will turn their back on, on, on truth and they will turn to, to myths. We, we look at the text in the subtext where, where the Apostle Paul and Jesus is reminding people that there will come a day when, when, when people will take and they will turn to myths. People have an objective when, when they come in the name of the Lord and they're not of God, to twist and thwart and take away from the gospel so that people will be led astray. And Jesus himself is, is warning us of this. People will gather around them what their itching ears want to hear. And it may not be of biblical principle. Church, 
Christ died for us. And, and the lyrics of the song, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price that you paid, bearing all my sin and shame. And love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now I, all I know is your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb, seated on the throne. Crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious, high and lifted up. Jesus, Son of God, the treasure of heaven crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. And then another song lyric, had it not been, had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary, had it not been for the old rugged cross, had it not been for a man called Jesus, then forever my soul would be lost. Church, we need to realize that some people will no longer put up with sound doctrine. We see it in our world today. We see that there's this constant pushback. Instead, the scriptures tell us that, that they will seek to, to teachers to whom will tell them things that they want to hear because they are self-centered. We are to, church, we are to lift up the hearts of the discouraged. We are to love the lost and gather them into your fellowship, into our fellowship, to share the hope, the grace, and forgiveness found in the Lord's word. And by doing so, lives will be changed for all of eternity. We are here to influence the world. 1 John 1, 7, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacred blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all sin. As the worship team is coming up this morning, I want to read this text to you, 1 John 2, verse 15. Don't love what the world says. Don't love the, the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out the love for the Father. Practically everything that, that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with the Father. It simply isolates you out and away from Him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting this, wanting this, it's on its way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for all of eternity. Thanks be to God, church. This is the word this morning. Blessings, my friends. Our scripture today comes from Luke 14, the message version. One time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees, all the guests had their eyes on him, watching his every move. Right before him, there was a man hugely swollen in his joints. So Jesus asked the religion scholars and Pharisees present, is it permitted to heal on the Sabbath? Yes or no? They were silent. So he took the man, healed him, and sent him on his way. Then he said, is there anyone here who, if a child or animal fell down a well, wouldn't rush to pull him out immediately, not asking whether or not it was the Sabbath? They were stumped. There was nothing they could say to that. He went on to tell a story to the guests around the table. Noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor, he said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you might have been invited by the host. Then he'll come and call out in front of everybody, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this man. Red-faced, you'll have to move your way to the very last table, the only place left. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, 
come up to the front. That will give the dinner guests something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Then he turned to the host. The next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Instead, invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be, and experience, a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. And from Mark 4, then he spoke to the people. What kind of action suits the Sabbath best? Doing good or doing evil? Helping people or leaving them helpless? No one said a word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Gateway. I am so excited. I've come expecting that the Lord is going to meet us just like he has all weekend. Um, Saturday night has been incredible, and then the service just prior to this one was amazing, and I just know that the Lord is going to bless and anoint us as we gather here today. So many great things that are happening here at Gateway, and I'm so thankful that, uh, that uh, we were able to share a little bit of that with you. I also want to let you know a couple of other things, that uh, we have a prayer covenant partnership that is taking place, and that's been headed up by Linda Wallace. And so while we're gathering in all of our weekend services, there are people that are specifically praying for that particular service, and some of them are in those particular services, and lifting up and just praying that God would bless and anoint, that hearts and minds would be open and clear and receptive of what would be shared. So I just want to thank Linda for that. I also want to thank Jan and Michael McCracken because um, they're a vital part of that and really helping to, to launch that. Um, I know that he's not in the service here, this particular service, but David Miner was in the, in the service this morning at 8.30, and he came up very excited to share with me just before we started, uh, sharing a little bit about um, our Compassionate Ministries, and he shared how there was a number of our folks um, from Gateway, as well as Pastor Eliel and our Hispanic congregation, um, but they went out to 29 Palms yesterday to serve that church in that community, and they served over 350 meals yesterday. And so I just want to commend them for that as well. So, so God is good, God is moving, God is using Gateway in ways, amazing ways. So we're so thankful for that. Well, as we get into the, the text here this morning, um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we would just encourage you uh, to go to the Connection Center, fill out that connection card that you received, and, and go to the Connection Center, and we have a little gift for you. But, but as a staff, as a pastor, I, I would love to have the opportunity to connect with you, share with you a little bit about Gateway and what we're doing and the exciting things that are happening, um, as well as uh, the, the, explain to you the new uh, wing um, that we're looking to uh, 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 build here in the near future, our children's wing. Um, so I would just love to be able to connect with you personally. In the worship folder, um, you have an abbreviated outline, and then on the back side of that is the text that we just read. Please have that there available to you. Um, I'll be referring to different verses on occasion throughout the message, and I'd love for you to be able to, to just have that where we're in synergy together as we unpack the word here this morning. I, uh, I read an article, or actually an ad, a couple of years ago, and I I just want to share it with you. I think it kind of 
kind of sets the tone for where we're going here today. Um, but this article or this ad a couple of years ago, it says this. A friend of mine has, has two tickets uh, for the Super Bowl. They are box seats plus airfare and hotel accommodations. He didn't realize, though, however, that when he bought them, that this was the same day as his wedding, so he can't go. So as the ad continues on, it says, so if you're interested and you would like to go instead of him, it's at St. Peter's Church in New York City at 5 p.m. Her name is Donna, and she'll be the one that will be dressed in white. A couple of things this morning. I love that. I love that ad. A couple of things that I want to share with you. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. First of all, um, we've been going through the book of Mark, um, and we'll continue to do that um, all the way up through Passion Week of, uh, of 2020, Easter Week of 2020. And I've shared with you that there's, uh, there's, there's many stories in the book of Mark, but there's only one message, and that is that the kingdom uh, of, of God is at hand, that the kingdom of God is now now, I know that, uh, that this text this morning is found in Luke, and so what I want to do is I just want to share a snapshot with you of the, the continuance of Jesus' ministry as he's making his way, as he's journeying, making his way to the cross. But on your abbreviated outline there, there's three things, and I just want to tell you what I'm going to tell you. First of all, that, that Jesus brings healing. Jesus brings healing. Secondly, that wrong motives are revealed. Wrong motives revealed. And then thirdly, where do we place our values? Where do we place our values? Someone said, and I quote, you cannot command an emotion, but you can command an action. Understanding the difference between emotion and action, between what you feel and what you do, empowers every relationship that you have. When Jesus says, I command you to go and to love one another, he's not saying, uh, go and do it if you feel this way. He's not saying, uh, you know, go and do it only if it works out, if it fits into the schedule. No, he's saying, go and act this way. Oftentimes when we are challenged to act with love, there, there seems to be this something in us. It's, it kind of seems to be something the way that, that we're wired, that, that we want to rebel, that, that we want to push back, that it, it creates tension. But if we're honest with ourselves here this morning, here today, there's probably some truth to that. That, that if we're told to go and do, there tends to be a little bit um, resistance. There are just those times where, where we just don't feel like it. And so, so we say, you know what, I, if I was to go and, and, and act in love uh, to somebody, then I would feel like it was so phony because I'm just not, I'm not into it. I, I would feel like it's very much hypocritical. But how many times do you wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off, and you wake up in the morning and you say, I don't feel like going to work. Have you ever had that happen? But you get up and you do it anyway, right? Because there's a number of things that, that are required of you, like, like rent or mortgage or utilities or, or college tuitions. There's, there's just responsibilities that you have. So, so you get up and you, you make that happen. But church, if, if we only did the things that, that we felt like doing, we probably wouldn't get much done, right? Do you think that Jesus 
felt like taking and carrying a cross and, and walking down the, the avenue, the roads of, of Jerusalem, the, the Via Della Rosa? Do, do you think that he felt like carrying the cross after being flogged and being beaten numerous times? Uh, scripture tells us that, that Jesus was put on trial a number of times, but, but there were other mock trials, and so in upwards of maybe six trials before he actually um, went to the cross where Jesus was mocked and ridiculed. you think that he, he felt like doing that? Do you think that he felt like dying on the cross, giving up his life? Of course not. Jesus didn't enter the Garden of Gethsemane thinking, I feel like dying on the cross in just a few hours. And, and to add to that being completely humiliated publicly, and then to add to that the, the, the wrenching burdens of, uh, of the sins of all mankind placed upon him from his heavenly Father. And then not only that, but those that were closest to him, we see it in Scripture where even his own family pushed back away from him. And then those that were the closest to, the, to him, uh, as far as uh, the disciples, they even pushed back, they even fled, and one even betrayed him. I think in Luke chapter 22, verse, verse 42, it says this, where Jesus is he's, he's referring to him praying in the garden, Father, remove this cup from me, a cup that was completely filled to the brim with pain and suffering. But church, Jesus didn't follow his feelings. And I want you to, to note that. He didn't follow his feelings. Instead, he, he prayed this prayer to his heavenly Father, but please, please, Father God, not what I want but, but what you want of me. What, what was the Father's will? The Father's will that, that he, that Jesus, should suffer and die on your behalf. That Jesus would suffer and die on your behalf. And this morning, I, I really want you to acknowledge the gift that you have been given. That Jesus Christ died on a cross 2,000 plus years ago. He shed his blood on a hill called Calvary so that you could have, that you could receive eternal life. You have been given an incredible gift. But I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing with that gift? Because do you wake up in the morning and, 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 and you see the world around you? You see the brokenness around you? You work with a co-worker who, who their life is just in shambles and maybe they're going through a divorce and maybe they're having trouble with their teenager and all that. And, and do you get up and you just go to work and just say, I'm just going to work in this, I'm just going to work in this, and I'm not going to get involved, I'm not going to get involved. Well, Jesus died for them too. And your life needs to be a gift. It needs to be a presentation. It needs to be a, a living gospel, the, the good news, if you will, in the hearts and the lives of the people that are around you. He died and he suffered for you, my friend, my brothers and sisters here at Gateway and those that may be listening this morning. And with that determined submission, Jesus knelt down and he prayed in the garden. Scholarship believes that, that Jesus, while praying, in the garden when he said, Father, you know, uh, take this cup. When he was praying that prayer. Well, you can take that back and you can go back into the Old Testament. Such as I did a while back. And you can look at the text of Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And it talks about the four cups of, of the Passover. And how they represent the, the four wills of God. So, so Jesus, just so you have this mindset, but he's saying... Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thy will, where there's this connection. I, I wanted to share this with you, but, but those four cups, the first cup would be that, 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 that God will bring us out of the, the yoke of sin, 
that, that there's this cup that represents the sin, the, the, the brokenness, and Jesus is acknowledging it, that there's this broken relationship and that he has come to reconcile that. So I don't feel like going to the cross, but I know that this means reconciliation with mankind, an opportunity to be reconciled with their creator. And then the second cup would be that, that it represents freedom, that God will free you. God will free you from your bondage. It's a trustworthy statement. He tells us over and over again. The third cup would be, I am your redeemer. I will redeem you. The cup of redemption. And then this perspective, the fourth cup, that I will take you as my own people, that I will be your God forever and ever, the, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Church, I just want to tell you right now, but God can never be voted out of office. No matter who has a problem with it, no matter who has a beef with it, God is here. God is a God of love, a God of redemption, a God of reconciliation. And as Jesus knelt down and maybe even laid prostrate there in that garden, he was acknowledging what that cup meant or what those cups meant to the Heavenly Father and to all of mankind. Someone said, this kind of love can only come from God. But for us, there, there are these moments when not a single fiber of our being feels like loving. And yet the Bible tells us to act in love anyway. How can you receive the word if, if, if you have been, not been reconciled with others? And, 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 and I just want you to think about this for just a second. Because we can't come and congregate together. We can't come and fellowship together. We can't come and open up the word together, partake of, of the word of God together if we have an attitude, if we have a problem with a fellow brother or sister. If we walk into God's sanctuary, a place of peace, a place of solace, and we have a beef, we have a problem with somebody else, then the enemy will use that as a deterrent, as a deference, as a way of, to fragment away what God intends for each and every one of you. No, you don't feel like forgiving somebody. No, you don't feel like coming to somebody and saying, I'm sorry. But scripture tells us to do it anyway. Because when we do, the blessings that will come when we understand and we engage with what God is doing in our lives, we never could dream or imagine the blessings that God, but we have to take action, we have to move. And you can read Ephesians chapter 3 if you'd like, but that's in essence what it's saying. I look at this text, and it tells us that it's Sabbath. That meaning that, that no one works or, or no one labors and and then Jesus is invited to, to dinner by, by, by the who's who, a, a who's who of, a, a, of the city, of the, of the town, of the village, if you will. In other words, there, there was a lot of popular people that, that were going to gather together there. And Jesus has been invited to, to come. Because verse 1, you look at it there and you can flip over that note sheet. But one time when Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees. You know, as I read this text over and over again... I, I looked and, and I can't find anywhere where Jesus was invited back to that house ever again. He just wasn't. You're a dinner guest once, uh, but, but you're, 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 not, you're just not coming back. It's the Sabbath. It means that, that no, one, no one works, no, no one labors. No one is to, to do anything but to just gather together. It seems like every time that, that, that Jesus spoke, it seems like every time that, that Jesus, when he was doing ministry, that he uncovered someone's hypocrisy. 
There never was another whose words were more closely connected to the human heart. John chapter 18, verse 37 says this, and it being Jesus, I was born and entered the world so that I could witness the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for truth, recognizes my voice. So when Jesus spoke that afternoon at that dinner party, there was a division that was created. There was tension that, that entered into the picture. And, and just let me explain the reason why people had a problem with it. Because I can just imagine in the arena of my mind, but, but Jesus is invited to this house. He's invited to be the guest. And as he approaches that home, I can imagine in my mind that, that maybe the door is open and he can kind of peek in and he can kind of see all of this shuffle and all of this is going on with, with, the, with the dinner guests and those that are there and the table and they're kind of shuffling around. Who's going to get to sit next to Jesus and on and on and on. But let me point something out that, that you need to understand in this text. But for anybody to get into the home, so all of those that were already in the home and doing the shuffle, doing the dance of who's going to get to sit next to Jesus, it tells us, the scripture tells us that there was somebody with a malady, somebody that, that was physically ailing, somebody that was hurting, laying there or sitting there on the sidewalk up to that home, to that threshold. And so that tells me that people that were already inside trying to figure out who's going to sit next to Jesus either had to walk over that person or around that person to get in the house. So there was no concern for the need that was in front of the home. And when Jesus comes as the invited guest, he sees a problem very, very quickly. People are more concerned about the shuffle of the table than they are about the needs that are out in front. And so Jesus starts to, to confront that. John 10, verse 27 says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Those who are not of the truth or walking in the light do not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. John chapter 8, verse 12. Once again, Jesus addressed them, saying, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light for you to live in. John chapter 8 verse 43. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Why? Because you are choosing not to listen. Does it kind of sound like the world in which we live right now? John chapter 8 verse 47. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So get this, in this text, the, the first thing that Jesus does is that he heals this man that is sitting or lying at the front door. The one everybody has tripped over to get to their place of competition. Competition meaning who's going to get the, the social spot next to Jesus? Who's going to get their name in the paper? In other words, th there was this great concern about themselves versus kingdom building and what Jesus represented. They also loved the fact that they didn't have to help the man because it was the Sabbath and it would be considered working. Now, I just want to tell you, we, we look at that and we go, how ridiculous is this story? But can I just tell you 
that we need to be very careful and we need to really, really diligently dig into the weeds of our own lives and in our own hearts because how many times has the Lord asked us or prompted us to go and to serve Him or to serve the people around us and we rationalize reasons why we can't. We rationalize the reasons why we can't engage. And so here, these folks, the dinner guests, they have no problem because if they were to take and engage with this man, then they would be working, that they would be laboring. And Jesus called them out on that. Now, I just want to share this with you here today. But here at Gateway, we, we, have, a, we have a mission statement, we have a vision statement, and we have a rally cry. And our mission statement is that we are called up collectively as a family in this church that's been placed up on this hill to be a light in the community, that we are to love God, to love others, and to serve the world around us, locally, internationally, whatever that means. We also have a vision statement to, go, to know God and to make Him known. And then we have a rally cry that, that we are to be a people here in this community, that we go out and, and we bring people in. We love people. We meet them where they're at. We do life together. Young families, people that are in the community. You know what, church? There's a lot of churches in this, in this community, wonderful, amazing churches, but not everybody that, that is in this community is attending church. Not everybody in this community is seeking God. And so therefore, the harvest is plentiful, but the question this morning is, is are you willing to take action? Are you willing to move in such a way that God is saying, move now, move now, because lives, lives are depending on what you do or what you do not do. So I mentioned our vision statement, mission statement, and rally cry. So if I was to ask somebody here this morning, not to put you on the spot, but what is our rally cry, mission statement, vision statement, would you be able to say it? And I told the, the service uh, uh, just a few moments ago, but I said, you know what? Maybe it'd be one of those things where we just get ourselves to where we actually know and engage so that any time then I could just point to somebody and say, would you just stand and just give us our mission statement? Or would you just stand and please just tell us what our rally cry is? Would you tell us what our vision statement? And they kind of laughed and I said, but, but you know what? Take me seriously. Because wouldn't it be awesome if we all, it was just something that, that was just second nature to us. What is our mission as a church? What is our vision as a church? What is, our, what is our rally cry so that we are unified together to do kingdom building purposes? They, they loved the fact that they didn't have to help this man because it was the Sabbath and, and they would be considered working. So Jesus poses a question. He poses a question. Look at it, verse 3. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And you probably could have heard a pin drop because it was, it, I'm sure it was silent. It is what I call one of those uh-oh moments or, or, or one of those oh-no moments. They had been found out. They had been discovered. Their, their motives were uncovered. We, we've all been there, haven't we? We've been there before. Where we know that there's been this prompting and we haven't engaged or, or we've said one thing and we've, we've done another and, and then we've been found out. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. Friends, Jesus died for each and every one of us. He died for those in need at the door as well as those who think that they have it all together and whose motives are clearly wrong. Let's just understand, but he, he died for those that were even in competition of where they were going to sit at the table. And I say, thank you, Lord, 
that, that, that you are willing to give up your life for me and the choices that I make and for the choices that, that you make and the choices that, that all of us have made, that he is a loving, compassionate God and he is not detoured. And wouldn't it be amazing if we as a people could really embrace that and engage that and say that I will, I will uphold my faith, that I will trust in God regardless of any difficulty or any dart or spear that the enemy could throw at us. Because I got to tell you, greater is he that is in me, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God will t tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and the enemy is going to come. When you stand up and you carry that banner, when you take the, the sword of the Spirit, when you take and you say that I am for God, the enemy is going to hit you, and he will hit you hard. Are you with me so far this morning? To be a believer in Christ does not mean that it's easy road or comfort road. It's anything but that. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he presented himself for the sacrificial death that when we were too far weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready, and even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble can inspire us to, to selfless sacrifice. But, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death that while we were of no use whatsoever to him, he sent his son to die for us. So imagine the scene. Jesus is standing at the door and all of the dinner guests were seated at the table. And I could just imagine Jesus speaking from the door as he says in verse 5, look at it. Is there anyone here? Hello, maybe he just shouted it into the house. Is there anybody here that if, if you saw a child or an animal that has fallen down a well, that you would not rush to him or her and pull them out immediately, not asking, not being looking to see it or reflecting if it was Sabbath or not. That verse continues by saying that they were stumped. That there was nothing that they could say to that. It was one of those, uh-oh, but it was one of those gotcha moments. See, Jesus was challenging them. You are looking to your own interest, things that are valuable to you. And when it comes to another person's needs, misfortune, or illness, is the law, are you using the law as a tool of convenience to protect you from investment or involvement? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus sharing, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and, and advice. They're peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. And, and Jesus says, do not fall for any of that nonsense. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and it's secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Friends, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And we are to be a light. How many of you remember a number of years ago when, when Haiti had that, that horrendous, that very tragic earthquake? I remember watching it 
on the news time and time again because all these reports were, were coming out. And a, a good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, he had felt compelled. The Lord was laying on his heart to, to go to Haiti to, to minister. He actually took a team there. And if I recall correctly, they literally got back within just a couple of days and, 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 and this, this earthquake hit. And he has such a love for the people of, of Haiti that he's even adopted a few children into his family with, with, with his, already with his children, he and his wife. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story, but I don't know if you saw this story, but as they were, they were showing all of the devastation and things, but they showed this one man who, who had gone out and he found this pile of rubble. And here's this man, he was a faithful man. And he sat by a pile of rubble, and they say that for six days, he sat there and he just cried out, God, if there is any life, if there is a heartbeat, if there's a pulse, if there's any life that is laying underneath this pile of rubble, would you please somehow, some way, give me a sign so that I can go get them help? And six days in, somehow there was a, a, a tap of a, of a rock or there was a soft-spoken voice or something, but he knew that there was life that was still there and he went and got the rescue teams and they came and they started to take the, the piles, those old rocks off of that pile and there they found a woman who was very much alive. And as they extracted her out of that pile, she was singing Christian hymns as they moved her out of that. A similar story with another person set beside a pile of rubble for 15 days. Same scenario. And after 15, the 15th day, day 15, they extracted a young teenage gal out of there who was still alive. We, church, need to understand that there are people that are living on the other side of our obedience. So what we choose to do or not to do could radically impact or change a life or have eternal impact or consequence in those that live in the world around us. Catch this. This is so awesome. But the first thing that Jesus did was not go in for dinner. The first thing that, that he did was he heals the man. So Jesus brings healing. And then secondly, he addressed their wrong motives. Wrong motives were revealed. And then thirdly, where do we place, where do we place our values? Where were they placing their values? See, Jesus undressed the pride of the dinner guests. He had been watching them come in. And, and from the get-go, he was watching the dance that, that, that was taking place. He looks to see what it is that they love. And, and someone said... Jesus always watches until he knows where our treasure is. Because where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And Jesus wants your heart. Can I get a witness in the house here this morning? Jesus wants all of you, not a part of you. He doesn't want this negotiation. The very creator that created you with his own two hands wants all of you to be used for the glory of his good. Their treasure was in the pursuit of the praise of men. They moved in and out of, of conversations, trying to, to go unnoticed by, by vying for the best seats in, in the house. Henry Nowen says, and this is a powerful quote, and, and I have it there on your, on your sheet there, your note sheet, but Henry Nowen says, and I quote, as long as we are occupied and preoccupied with our desire to do good, but are not able to fill the crying need of those who suffer, our help remains hanging somewhere between our minds and our hands and does not descend into the heart where we can care, 
end quote. Hello, church. Nobody fools Jesus. They didn't, and you and I never will. What does Jesus think about the guest who, whose treasure is the praise of men? Well, let's just, let's just hear his response, Jesus' response. And you can look in Luke chapter 14, verse 43. This is what he says to, to those that are not of kingdom building are not self-serving. He says, you're hopeless, you Pharisees. You're frauds. You love sitting at the head of a table at church dinners. You love preening yourselves in the radiance of public flattery. You're frauds. You're just like unmarked graves. People walk over that nice grassy surface, never suspecting the, the rod and the corruption that is taking place six feet under. In Luke chapter 20, verse 46, with everybody listening, Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said this. He says, watch out for religious scholars. They, walked, they love to walk around in their academic gowns, preen in the radiance of public flattery, bask in prominent positions, sit at the head table at every church function. And all the time they are exploiting the weak and the helpless. The longer their prayers, the worse they get. But they'll pay for it in the end. Luke chapter 14, look at it, verse 11 in our text. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 11 of our passage Verse 11 in the message translation, it says this, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to be simply yourself, you will become more than yourself. Church, God's got a plan. And I truly believe this, but when we seek him first, seek ye first the kingdom of God, when we seek him first with all of our whole hearts, wholeheartedly, I think that there are just blessings that, are, that, are, that he's just waiting to afford us. I think that he's wanting us to trust him. I think that there's a faith factor here. Oftentimes we want to white-knuckle everything. We just want to, in, a, in the cognitive portion of our mind, we, that we just want to be able to, to figure it out and then say, yes, God, I will because I know how this will turn out. He is saying, trust me, have faith that I can move. Have faith that I can move mountains. And I love in the text, but he says, have faith the size of a mustard seed one of the smallest seeds of a plant. Have that kind of faith and see what I can do in you and through you. Thanks for hanging in here. I'm almost done. Jesus has already taught an awesome message, but he's not quite done yet. Look at verses 12 through 14. Then he turned to the host and he says, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor. No, they won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. I could just imagine that some of those that were in at the dinner party that maybe now they're starting to draw attention now out to what's taking place in the forefront of the house, the threshold of the house. And I could just imagine somebody saying, what, what kind of a person is this? What kind of a request is this? Who on earth can talk like this? Answer, the one who desires that it is on earth as it is in heaven. That's who can make those kind of comments. Imagine someone there in that crowd saying, who has the right to say such things? Answer, 
someone who knows because in James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, your life is like a mist. You can see it for a short time, but, but then it goes away. In essence, what, is, what are you doing with the life that you have? Jesus is the man here this afternoon. This particular occasion, he, he, he is the man. He's always the man. But no one ever spoke like him. And, and, and people who call him Lord, uh, uh, it, they, it, they see and realize that he's not like any other person. John 3.16, God didn't go to all of this trouble sending his son to merely point out an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. And as I close, and as the worship team is coming, and as I close, hear me when I say this. There are some who, whose only shallow focus and reaction to Jesus' words will be, surely he can't mean that. Or surely that's not directed to me. And maybe some of the only thing that you heard this morning is, is Pastor Joe saying that we can no longer have church dinners? That's not what I'm saying. That we have to figure out where we're going to sit and who it to. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. But listen, church. There are, pe there are people who will spend all of their energy trying to diffuse the Lord's word. Actually, this very text, they, they have worked so diligently to try to bend his word. To, to try to find a way out that, that we can't work on the Sabbath. But it's not going to happen. We need to understand that, that in our own lives, but it's not going to happen. Many, like the Pharisees, will try to manipulate. They will try to manipulate God's word. They will try to take and preserve things that, that, that aren't tradition and are not of God, but they will try to push an agenda of convenience. We'll see that, and we are seeing that in the world in which we live here today. Those that struggle with the word of God, the very breath of God, their very creator, try to dismiss because of the corruption of the human heart. The carnal heart says, do things that will pay off for you and for your convenience, your undisturbed pleasures, your domestic comfort, and your social tranquility. But I want to share with you this morning that Matthew 22, verse 37 says this, Jesus speaking, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your passion and with all of your prayer and with all of your intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second, church, to come alongside of it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hang from them. This morning we need to understand that Jesus' words are radical. Why? Because our sin is radical. He wants to address it. He wants to change it. He wants to move us in a new direction. Oh, this word is powerful this morning. Do not allow it to escape you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Blessings, church.